Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Living Hope this morning. This, this seems really loud. Is it just me talking loud? <laughs> anyway, um, let's greet each other with a greeting that Christians have been using for a very, very long time. The Lord be with you. Let's pray together before we begin our service, will you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this past week and all that we've walked through, that you've walked beside us. I thank you, Father, for bringing us here this morning, for each person that's here in this room, who will be here in this room <laughs> as they come in from outside. And Lord, for those who join us online, I pray that everything that is said and done here this morning would honor and glorify you. For these things we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you are able and willing, please feel free to stand and join us as we worship the Lord in music. Sing to the King who is coming to reign in glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Life and salvation His empire shall bring and joy to the nations when Jesus is King. Come, let us sing a song, a song declaring we belong to Jesus, and He's all we need. Lift up a heart of praise, Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the King. For his returning, we watch and we pray. We will be ready the dawn of that day. We'll join in singing with all the redeemed cause Satan is vanquished and Jesus is King come let us sing a song a song declaring we belong to Jesus and he's all we need lift up a heart of praise Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the King. Amen. dwelling place oh Lord Almighty for my soul longs and even faints for you for here my heart is satisfied Within your presence, I sing beneath 
the shadow of your wings. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Thousands elsewhere. One thing I ask and I would seek to see your beauty to find you in the place your glory dwells one thing I ask and I would seek to see your beauty to find you in the place your glory dwells. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere, than thousands elsewhere. Amen. Our Father, sometimes the cares of the day seem to multiply while the blessings fade so quickly. Our bodies grow tired and our minds even more tired. Jesus, help us. Give us the strength you've promised in your word. Give us the power to take the next step. Give us your grace, for we know that in our weaknesses, your strength is revealed. May we receive it today. my soul remember redemption till where your blood was spilled for my ransom and everything I once held dear I count it all as loss. 
Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. And bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. And rid me of myself, I belong to you. Oh, lead me. Lead me to the cross. Oh, you were as I, tempted and tried. Human, the word became flesh and bore my sin and death. And now you're risen. Oh, and everything I once held deep, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. And bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. And rid me of myself, I belong to you. Oh, lead me, lead me to your heart. Lord, I lay me down and rid me of myself. I belong to you. Oh, lead me. Lead me to the cross. Pray with me, would you? Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the, the, the way that you made for us through the cross so that we can be in right relationship with you. Lord, for, for the, the blood of your son spilled, the body of your son broken for us on our behalf so that we could find freedom from our sin, from our past, from, from all of the things that would, that would keep us away from you, that would get in the way of knowing you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning. I thank you again for each and every person that's here. I thank you, Father, that you have, you have drawn us here. You've invited us into your presence on purpose. Not randomly, not haphazardly, Lord, but we are here at your invitation in your presence. And I thank you and I praise you for that. Father, I pray for each person who has carried heavy burdens this week. Things just have not gone right. They've been out of sorts, and life just didn't seem to be going the way they thought it should go this last week. Maybe this last couple of weeks, or months, or, Lord, maybe even years. I thank you that you have not forsaken 
any of us, Lord, you've promised in your word that you will not. So no matter what we have faced, no matter what we have ahead of us that we will face, you are still there, you are already there, and you are walking beside us. Lord, for those of us who are counting our blessings today, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you, and we give you the glory for each and every one of those blessings. We don't deserve them. We can only ask, and we thank you for your lavish love that you give to us. Be with this service. Be with these people. May we hear from you this morning. Bless your word and all who speak it this morning. In your name we pray this. Amen. 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 And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves as you're comfortable. All right, before we get into announcements and everything, I have a special treat for us this morning. So this morning we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And my, my special friend Diane has agreed to read the Ten Commandments for us. So if we could have Diane come up here, okay, and let's give her our, our, uh, give her our attention. Let's try that again. And we're going to hear from Diane the Ten Commandments, okay? All right. Do not have any other gods. Do not worship idol. Trust, treat God's name as the most important name of all. Use it for the rightness, right reasons. Remember the Worship day, keep it special. God's work six days to make the earth the next day to rest. Next day, treat your father and mother like important people and obey them, then I, I, you will live a long time in the land I'll give you. Do not kill. Have sex only with your wife or husband. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not want things that belongs to someone else. Very good. Thank you, Diane. Didn't You're she welcome. do a great job? Yeah, Diane, you did a great job. Thank you so much. I can't hop up here like Pastor Rich can. I've got a few years and older knees on him. So... Um, uh, this morning, we do have some announcements. Um, we, the bra drive is still going on. Okay, you're going you're to probably have to help me. I forgot to grab a bulletin. So, um, do we have them up on the... Yeah, we still have our used bra drive going on until the end of the month, although they will take them throughout the year. It's just this is a special drive. Um, we still have our emergency overnight warming center going on. And we still could use some volunteers. It hasn't stopped yet. Um, and again, it can be for an all-night thing or half a night if that's something that you can accommodate. 
And then coming up on March 1st, uh, Hilltop House is doing their soups fundraiser, and they're in need of people who will make desserts for them. Uh, the church is committed to desserts. Um, I ha he doesn't know it yet, but I've probably committed my husband to making cookies because that's his, that's his thing. He just walked in. <laughs> so not to embarrass him for being late at all. But, uh, but he's here, isn't he? And we're, we're glad. But yeah, he's, he's the cookie baker in the family. And so he's just been committed to baking cookies, <laughs> unbeknownst to him. Um, also, if you need to get any information or, or requests or, or comments that you want the pastor to see or the office to see, you can do so by going to livinghope.info slash connect, or you can drop one of our green comment cards in the box in the back. And also, if you are wanting to give this morning, you can do that by going to livinghope.info slash give, or again, we have envelopes in the back and you can drop it in the box. Um, I know that we have, as a church, appreciated the generosity of our people um, through this winter with our warming center um, and with the other things that we have been doing to love our neighbors this winter. And you, you folks really have proved to be the generous people that you really are. And I know that Pastor Rich, is, I, I know I can speak for Pastor Rich in saying thank you. And it's much, much appreciated. Well, you take a deep breath. <laughs> this is our third Sunday in Exodus, right? As we're going through the Bible. Um, last week, Pastor Rich, I believe he stopped at the ten plagues, didn't he? Right? Okay. Um, and those were the ten plagues that were sent on to Egypt that encouraged Pharaoh <laughs> to let the people of Israel leave. And as a synopsis, Pharaoh let the people go. They hightailed it out into the desert, right? Only to have Pharaoh change his mind and come chasing after the people to get them all back. Pharaoh realized all of his labor force had just left. And how were the pyramids going to get built without the labor force, right? So he, he changed his mind, and he went to go get them. Well, you might already know that that didn't work out really well for the Egyptians. If you know the story, the Israelites, you know, they came to the Red Sea, and they saw no way through or around it, and they kind of panicked a little bit, didn't they? If you, if you They panicked. They're like, okay, Moses, great. You brought us out here into the desert, and here we are. We're blocked by the sea on one side, and the Egyptians are coming up behind us. Good job. Thanks. But God did a miracle through Moses and opened the Red Sea, and they walked through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground. All of the people, all of the animals, all of everything, everything they brought with them. And once they were through that, God closed the Red Sea right on the Egyptians, and they all drowned. Okay? So God rescued the people of, of Israel right then and there. And that, that's big. You would think, you would think that that would be enough. But anyway, the people of God went forward from the Red Sea, and they had a few adventures along. This is a really, really brief, this isn't even Reader's Digest condensed. This is even more condensed than that. But they had a few adventures along the way. And in chapter 16 of Genesis, Exodus, who typed this? Um, Exodus, it says that one month after leaving Egypt, the people started complaining that Moses and Aaron had led them into the desert to die of starvation. Well, Moses went before God, and this is when God miraculously started providing manna and then quail. He did this so the people could eat. You know, after a while, the provisions they had brought from Egypt had run out, and they're in a desert. 
There's not a lot of wild game. There's not, there's not any crops that they could harvest. But God miraculously provided. Not too much later, though, the people were camped at Rephidim, and there was no water. Again, this is the desert. Not a big water source in the desert, right? And once again, after, this is the funny part. After seeing what God did at the Red Sea, seeing God provide manna and quail, they're complaining again. <laughs> Boy, sounds like somebody I might know. Um, anyway, after seeing all of that, they're complaining again and saying to Moses and Aaron, great, you brought us out into the desert to die now of thirst. Good job. Thanks a lot, right? So God, Moses went to God, and God told Moses to strike a rock, and when he did, water flowed out from it. And it was enough water to satisfy not only the people, which is estimated to be in the hundreds of thousands of people in this group. This wasn't just, you know, a couple hundred folks that are just kind of caravanning along in the desert. We're talking hundreds of thousands. We don't know exactly, but, but it was all the people as well as all of their livestock. That's a lot of water from one rock. It, it was either a really big rock or God really miraculously provided. I, I prefer to think God was miraculously providing. Well, then by chapter 19, we find the people of Israel a mere two months after leaving Egypt. Okay, it's only been two months. They're camped at the base of Mount Sinai. God comes down to Mount Sinai, and then he invites the people to come up. But they are too afraid. The presence of God is too overwhelming for them. They won't do it. And so Moses instead goes up to God on the mountain. And most of chapter 19 is God and Moses having this conversation. And the final verse of chapter 19 tells us that Moses then went down to tell the people what the Lord had said. That brings us to chapter 20. That was a quick synopsis, wasn't it? Now, if you don't know, this is where we find the first mention of the covenantal commandments for the people of Israel, otherwise known to us as the Ten Commandments. And this morning, we're going to walk through each one. I, I put in here fairly briefly. It's going to be very briefly, <laughs> to be honest. I think each one of the commandments could be a sermon all in and of itself, but we're trying to get through the whole Bible this year, so we're not going to get stalled here, Okay. Um, but Diane read the, the list of them. Where did, Diane read our list this morning, and I so appreciate that. Um, but on, and on the surface, these, these commandments, they seem to be just a list of rules. That's how I've always considered them, to be just a list of rules that we can check off and we're okay, right? You know, I, I, I worship only God. I don't have any idols. I don't use God's name in vain. I try to observe Sundays, you know, I really do my best to honor my father and mother, and I haven't killed anybody yet. <laughs> I don't plan to, but I haven't yet. Um, I haven't committed adultery. I don't make it a practice of stealing, and if I find that I have, I really try to make amends. I, I don't lie about people, and I can't say that I've never coveted, but I, I really try to not live in a place where not live in a neighborhood, but not be in a place where I covet what other people have. I'm okay, right? <laughs> well, what I learned this week as I was studying for this this morning over the last couple weeks is that the language that God uses here in giving us the commandments is, is a covenantal language. 
as opposed to a, like a legal or, or law-oriented language. And the best way I can relate this is the kind of language that's used when two people get married. Each person takes vows to the other. When Phil and I got married a long, long, long time ago, um, I didn't consider that, that the love, honor, and cherish for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health till the day that we die, um, I didn't consider those to be rules. Those were vows that I made. That was the, the terms and conditions, so to speak, for the relationship that we would have going forward, right? Well, this language that God uses here in these 10 commandments, as well as 42 other covenantal commandments in, in later in the book of Exodus, they become the framework, the context, for all the other laws that are given to, to the people of Israel, to God's people. And for this morning's purposes, though, we're only going to look at these first 10. Again, we could do this for a long, long time and sit here for a long time because there's so much richness as we begin to unwrap and understand the cultural um, context that God gives these commandments in. Here at Living Hope, we've talked about the law in the past. I know I've preached about it and how the law is deeper than just a list of do's and don'ts. Now, it, it's, the language is don't do this, but go ahead and do this, or you really need to do this, right? But it's not really meant to be that list of shalls and shall nots, right? It's, it's more of a mirror that we hold up as a reflection to see if as we're following the laws, we're looking more and more and more and more and more and more like God, right? Well, that applies even here with the Ten Commandments. So let's look a little bit clo more closely at these 10. Um, the first two of them, they're found in Exodus chapter 20. They're in your handouts. And it's verses 1 through 6. It says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God be but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Now these first couple few verses are, they're pretty straightforward. They're pretty clear. Have no other gods and don't make or worship idols. In a, in a nutshell, that's really what they're saying. And this isn't a sermon necessarily about all the things that we could make into idols in our lives. I, I'm, sh I'm sure that I'm not the only one that's heard those sermons. You know, the, the things that we put in front of God, the things that are more important to us than God, that turn into idols in our lives. Instead, what I want to look at is another verse that I believe explains these two probably more succinctly than I can. If you'll remember in the New Testament, Jesus has asked this question. What is the greatest commandment? Right? Does that sound familiar? Okay, good. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Um, that question was actually asked of Jesus to trick him in hopes of finding a way of, of bringing him up on charges of blasphemy. Okay, but Jesus answers. Do you remember what he answered? 
He quoted Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Love God with everything you have. This is the first and greatest commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And if we're loving God that way, we aren't very likely to violate those first two commandments, are we? If we're loving God with everything, we're probably not going to put something else in front of him. We're probably not going to worship things in our lives that are more important to us as idols, right? Next in verse 7, we see the third command. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Okay, I, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of us grew up being taught that this meant you couldn't use the names of God or Jesus in ways we would have called cussing? Cussing, right? right? Oh, man. The, I, I can still remember the taste of soap <laughs> for that one. <laughs> um, and we couldn't even use substitute words. My goodness, if I said, oh my gosh, that was going to be a problem, <laughs> okay? It was the same thing as using, God, as using God's name, and we might as well have just said it because everybody knew what you meant anyway, right? Am I the only one that heard that? <laughs> might as well just say it, right? Well, and that could be considered part of what God meant by this commandment. I, I, I don't see that as a problem. But I've come to understand that there is much more to it. There's more nuance to this than just the phrases we use that contain God's name. Another aspect of this commandment is using the name of God to kind of put a stamp of approval on something that someone says or does when what's being said or done isn't necessarily of God. Historically, we saw this in the support that too many churches and church leaders gave for things like slavery, the extermination of the Jews, segregation, and other places where groups of people are marginalized and oppressed by another group in the name of God. And I've come to believe that this is the primary meaning of the name of God, of using this, this, the name of God. And this is why God had this commandment, so that we didn't take his name and use it to further our own agendas, okay? Now, I'm not going to go around saying phrases that use God's name in them. It's too ingrained in me. I just can't do it. And, and I don't believe that that's um, something that I, I guess I'm, I'm just not as concerned about that as much as I used to be. It's, it's a very common vernacular. And I can't say I'd never cringe, but I'm actually more concerned with how people use the name of God, when they say and do things, okay? Now, these first three commandments, they're grouped together, kind of, and as they're grouped together as guidelines for how we relate to God and how he relates to us. And they can really, all three, be summed up in that verse from Deuteronomy. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Some places have heart, soul, mind, and strength. That trips me up sometimes. The next one, Commandment number four is in verses 8 through 11 in chapter 20. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. 
On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now we've talked a little bit here at Living Hope about rest. In fact, Labor Day weekend in September, I preached about this very idea of rest. The gist of this commandment is that it is critical for us as image bearers of God to rest. And he makes a point to tell us that he created the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh. I'm afraid too often we frame this commandment though as a rule. Okay, God didn't need to rest, but he did. It wasn't set as a rule, but it was set as a, a standard for us to follow, right? It's more like, I, I feel like sometimes we want to rebel against it because we see it as a rule, a hard, fast, legalistic, we can't violate this. Uh, again, I, I, I look back to the way I was raised. We didn't do anything on Sundays but go to church. Nothing. Nothing. And that's okay, that's okay, because it was a day of rest. Um, but I, there was a time in my life, and it, it, it was a, quite a while, I rebelled against that. It was more like a, you can't tell me what to do kind of a thing. And, and I think of a toddler or preschooler who just refuses to nap. They just won't do it. <laughs> Not because, and may primarily because they're afraid they're going to miss out on something, or they just don't want to do what they're told. Toddlers and preschoolers, they can be, they can be difficult, <laughs> you know. But as, as mom and dad, they, mom and dad know that they need that nap. They need to rest. If they don't get their nap, they're miserable. They don't do anything else well without it, yet they will fight it tooth and nail. Sound familiar? I'm not very good at resting, I'm going to be honest. We keep ourselves so busy that we don't think we have time to rest, to observe a Sabbath, and that's only to our own detriment. Burnout, breakdown, high blood pressure, stress-related heart disease, and any number of other ailments can be traced back to a lack of rest. To not, observe, to not observing some sort of Sabbath, it doesn't necessarily have to be on Sunday or on Saturday, which was actually what the Sabbath was, for, according to our calendar, but some time that is set aside for some sort of Sabbath. One thing that has helped me reframe this commandment in my mind is instead of thinking of, of it as a rule that has to be followed, is to think of it as a gift that God has given us. This gift of rest and, and giving us, he gave us permission and even direction to stop and breathe and rest and spend time in his presence, spend time with him. When I began to think of Sabbath rest as a gift instead of an order, it became a priority instead of an inconvenience. Ooh. <laughs> Commandment number five, found in verse 12. This one can be hard for a lot of us. 
honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This commandment in particular is probably the one that has been, I've been asked about the most over the years. Part of why it's so hard and why so many people have questions and struggle is that so many have had mothers and fathers that have treated them badly, even abusively. But if we look over at Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, we read this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, or parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. <coughs> what I've learned and really love about the commandments and their relationship to the New Testament is how the writings there expand on the original. <coughs> We've just read these verses in the commandment for children to obey and honor their parents. And, and it, it echoes the commandment to honor your father and mother, right? But it can be so difficult because it can cause so much conflict and inner turmoil for so many people. It's difficult to understand how God would ask us to honor people who have been so cruel and so unjust sometimes. Now, if you had a great or even just really good parents, honoring them is easy singing their praises, telling about the wonderful things that, that they did as they raised you and the way they loved you <clears throat> and the way they supported you is, is not difficult. But we look at the second part of the passage. There's instruction for the parents. Parents are not to provoke their children to anger, but instead to raise them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. They're not supposed to be cruel or mean or exasperating to their children. So what do we do when we've had parents that have not honored God and have not been kind and loving? Parents who have been mean or abusive. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know for sure if I'm totally, I, I don't know for sure. I know that what I had to do to honor my dad. He left when I was five or six, and I was the oldest of four. He was never mean or abusive because he just wasn't there. I struggled with that. How do I honor this man when he's never been there and he's never been a dad for me or my siblings? And the way I learned to honor my dad, and this was a long process. So anyone who's struggling with this commandment, with this relationship, don't think that this happened overnight. It was decades long in this process. But the way I learned to honor my dad, who I now have a decent relationship with today, really, was to accept that he would never be the daddy I needed growing up or that I wanted, that he was lost and broken and he needed Jesus more than anything else. He would never be what I wanted him or needed him to be, but God loved him in his brokenness, in his addiction, and in his sinfulness. That took a long, long time. And he needed Jesus just as much as I needed Jesus. Now, I can't stand here and tell you great things about the way my dad raised me or all that he taught me growing up because, honestly, he just didn't. 
But what I can say is that I have peace about how I have lived in relation to him until the time that we were able to be reconciled. That, that is how I honor my dad. That will look different for everyone based on their relationship with their parents and the way God instructs you to honor your parents. That brings us to commandment number six. You must not murder. Easy, right? <laughs> like I said before, I haven't killed anybody yet. <laughs> no intentions of, by any means, you know. But in, in some ways, it really is simple as just not killing someone. But a person taking another person's life, whether they intend to or not, though sad and tragic, isn't necessarily murder. It's a murder is a purposeful act. And while most of us today likely will never murder anyone, that there's more to it. It goes deeper, okay? If, if you are or were in the military, it's possible you were in combat and you found yourself in a situation where you had to fire at enemy combatants. Now, while that is tragic that you had to take someone's life, it's not the same standard as murder. Okay? Murder is purposeful. But in case we think we're off the hook because we haven't taken someone else's life intentionally, let's take a quick look at what Jesus has to say about it. We look at Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. In verses 21 and 22, we read this. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. I grew up hearing that if you hate someone, you've already murdered them. And angry here is, is a little bit of a sanitized word in, in our culture, in, in the way we use it. Um, I don't think it means that you're momentarily upset with or frustrated by someone and it makes you angry. The implication here is that it's a deep-seated anger that leads to a hatred for them. It's a bitterness that you just cannot let go of. And it sits in your gut. And if we're carrying that kind of anger and hatred towards someone... We are under the same judgment as we would be under if we'd murdered them. That is some really heavy stuff. It's not so simple as we first thought, is it? It doesn't let us off the hook just because we haven't actually murdered anyone. But it raises the standard to how we feel about and how we relate to someone else, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> The next one, commandment seven, you must not commit adultery. There's not a lot of wiggle room in that, is there? It's, a, it's pretty much a thou shalt not, pretty easy, okay? Well, much like the commandment not to murder, though, Jesus had a little something to add to it. If we look again at Matthew chapter five, this time in verse 27, we find he says this, starting in verse 27, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, 
causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow. <laughs> that really gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? We've talked about this verse before, if I recall, about the, the lusting and the, the eye and how, um, how it's... it's I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, getting a little out of order here, but we've talked about this verse, and Jesus gets right to the point here where he says it's not enough to simply not have intimate contact with another person that you're not married to. It's not just that simple. This verse goes deeper to what we see and then what enters our thoughts before we ever act on anything. It's, it's this idea that we are, we are using parts of our body, our eyes, to, to commit adultery without ever participating in a physical act. It also puts the onus on the one lusting for the sin of lusting, for the sin of committing adultery in that way, right? It doesn't say to pluck out the object of lust and throw them away. No, it says if your eye causes you to sin, your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Once again, Jesus goes deeper than just the, to the surface of what we do or don't do down to the secrets of our heart and our thoughts, illustrating the importance of how and what we think. Got a little quiet, sorry. <laughs> Commandment number eight, you must not steal. Whew, an easy one, <laughs> right? Easy peasy. We pretty much have understood from childhood that taking something that doesn't belong to us, anything that isn't ours is stealing. Even if we're sticking it to the man by keeping things from work, right? Or in great need of whatever it is we take. If it isn't ours, it's still stealing. Paul mentions this in Ephesians 4.28 where it says, If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those in need. I don't know that we necessarily need to spend a lot of time on this one. We could go over with a fine-tooth comb and sift through the ways that we can rationalize stealing or we can find ways that would be considered stealing. But suffice it to say for this morning that if it isn't yours, don't take it. We learned that in kindergarten, right? If it isn't yours, don't take it. Number nine. This commandment says you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, once again, I grew up with this commandment, learning that it was about lying. And while that's true, it isn't necessarily all of it. As we've seen with the other commandments, there's more to it, right? The language of this commandment is courtroom language. It is literally about testifying in court. It says that we're not to give false testimony. Today, we would call that perjury. Yeah? Giving false testimony. Right. The connotation here lends itself to the idea of a more powerful person in some sort of uh, court case giving false testimony in order to oppress or further oppress a less powerful person. Now, we're going to look at another place in the Old Testament this time, not in the New Testament. If we look at Isaiah 29, 21, it says this. 
Those who convict the innocent by their false testimony will disappear. A similar fate awaits those who use trickery to pervert justice and who tell lies to destroy the innocent. It's not as simple as just not, as not telling an untruth. It's not that simple. It goes much deeper to how we use our words to oppress and destroy innocent people. The judgment for doing so is harsh. And again, it's not about what we don't do. It's equally about what we do. Do we defend people who are being gossiped about and give them the benefit of the doubt until we've talked to them directly? How many of you have witnessed someone you know being gossiped about and you know that doesn't sound like them? I have. And for a long time, my what I would generally do is I would listen and take it in and too often I would pass that information along. Well, God really corrected me <laughs> on that. And now when I hear someone talking about someone else, first I defend that person. First and foremost, that's not the person I know. You know. And then I go to that person directly and say, "Hey, I heard a rumor this is what was said, and I just want to get your take on it. What's going on? And then I go back and correct the person who was gossiping and lying. False testimony, right? Um, these are other ways that we, even if we're not in court, if we're not testifying um, in a court case, we bear false witness against our neighbors by not standing up for what is truth about that person, allowing other people to assassinate their characters and allowing other people to drag them down and oppress them when they are potentially, likely, innocent. Finally, we come to commandment number 10. And this is found in verse 17. You must not cover covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, coveting is a real thing, and it can cause some real problems. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one that watches, they watch the videos on the internet about the Karen neighbors. Do you know what I mean? Am I, I hopefully from the Snickers, I'm not the only one. Okay, because some of them are just ridiculous, right? That there are these neighbors who think that something on, on the person's property belongs to them. And they are going to do whatever they have to do to take it, which is really what coveting is. It's wanting something so badly you will do whatever you have to to acquire that from someone else. It's not just about keeping up with the Joneses, though that could be part of it. It is literally about, about being willing to break other commandments, like don't steal, to get things that you want that belong to someone else. David coveted Bathsheba. Jacob coveted Esau's blessing from Isaac. Joseph's brothers coveted the favor that he had with their father, Jacob. Coveting will make us do crazy, crazy stuff sometimes. So how do we then keep from coveting when we see something someone has that we really would like to have? Well, I think James 4 might help us out in this. And in verses 1 through 3, it says this. 
what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Again, I, I just see these videos in my head of these, these people that are fighting over literally one of rocks in the landscaping of someone's yard. Rocks in the landscaping. Really? Anyway, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you don't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what gives you pleasure. Now, I don't believe it's wrong to ask God for the things we want, things we'd like to have. I know when, when we were looking for a house, we, we, we've been in our house, what, four years? We bought our house four years ago, this month, I think. And we prayed about the house that we wanted. And God very, very richly blessed us with what we wanted. Now, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't new. It's older than I am. <laughs> but it was what we prayed for, what we asked for, okay, this, this verse here tells us that, that we have not because we don't ask God for it. Or if we ask, we ask with wrong or selfish motives. When we align our motives with God's intentions for us, it's more likely that we'll find we receive the things we want, and often more, because we want what God wants. The desires of our heart turn from being self-motivated to being God or others motivated. Now, these six commandments are also grouped together like the first three. But instead of being about our relationship with God and his relationship with us, these six are geared toward how we live in relationship with each other, how we live in community together. The first three were about loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength. These last six are about loving our neighbors as ourselves. See how that worked out? Isn't that kind of cool? These are the two commands that Jesus said were the greatest commandments. And if we remember anything from this morning, I'd like for us to remember that this is, that in his great love for us, God gave us these commandments. He didn't give us these commandments to make our lives miserable, to keep us from having fun. No, he gave us these commandments out of his great love for us using this language of covenant, this marriage ceremony type language. And it's a covenant that he won't break even if we do. And we see that later in Exodus and in the law. But again, I could stand here all day, but it's going to get to be lunchtime and I think there might be a little revolt if we stayed here all day. <laughs> but we truly could spend so much time talking about these commandments, and it would really slow down us getting through the Bible this year. But what I hope you'll take home with you is this overall notion that in order to follow these commandments, which if we claim to be the people we are, if we claim to be following Jesus, we should be following these commandments. Now, we don't have to remember every commandment in order or word for word. We can follow them by loving God and loving others. And if our intention, the intention of our heart, is always to love God and love others, it's not likely that we're going to break these commandments, is it? But the glorious thing for me is that if we do 
if we do break those commandments, God gives us grace. Grace to confess to him where we have failed to love him and love others. Grace to forgive us for those failures and grace to continue to walk with us through this life, teaching us to love him and love our neighbors. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for these commandments, for this, this word of, of instruction that you've given us, Lord. But more than just instructions, more than just um, rules that we have been given to follow, Lord, for this, this language of covenant that you, have, that you have given them to us in. I thank you, Lord, that it's out of your great love that you have given us these directions, you've given us these guidelines for how we relate to you and how we relate to each other. Lord, I can't imagine it's any easy task <laughs> teaching us these things over and over and over. And yet in your, your long-suffering, in your mercy, Lord, you are so gracious to us. I pray, Lord, that you will take these words and that you will imprint them in the hearts and the minds of each person listening, whether it's here in this room or people who join us online. Lord, may we take these words and let them change us. May we let them grow into the depths of, of our souls and our spirits, Lord, as we become more and more and more like you, loving you and loving others. We pray this morning, Father, for our time at the table that you invite us to. I thank you, Lord, for the bread and for the cup for the, what it represents to us is your sacrifice on the cross, your body broken and your blood poured out, Lord. Bless these elements as we partake of these means of grace. I thank you for making a way for us to know you, to know your, your grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, I know that I have to confess, we confess, Lord, that all too often we have not lived up to the standard that you have set. We've not always loved with our whole hearts. We've not always obeyed. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness in this moment. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy in our lives. And may we, may we come to the table and partake of the bread and of the cup, free of anything that comes between us. And we pray this in your name. Join me in praying the Lord's Prayer, would you? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As the high saws come this, again this morning to lead us one more time, I invite you to join the Lord here at his table. It's open to anyone who is saying yes to God this morning, anyone who has surrendered to him. I will stand at the front with the, the cup and the bread. We do have a gluten-free wafers if you need them. Um, if you're not comfortable getting in line and being around people uh, that close to folks, we do have elements on the table that you are welcome to partake in.
at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore at his table. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore at his table. Come all you weary, come and find his yoke is easy. His burden light, He is able, He will restore at the table of the Lord. There is peace at the table of the Lord. There is peace at the table of the Lord. I won't worry anymore at his table. There is healing at the table of the Lord. There is healing at the table of the Lord. I won't suffer anymore at his table. Come all you weary, come and find his yoke is easy. His burden light, He is able, He will restore at the table of the Lord. I'm invited to the table of the Lord. I'm invited to the table of the Lord. He says, come just as you are to his table. Father, thank you once again. Thank you for your presence here that you've invited us into. Thank you for the time that you've given us this morning to be together in your house with your people. We thank you, we praise you, we give you the glory, and we pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>